3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And welcome to Wednesday Breakfast and our first show for 2023. I'd like to wish you all a very happy new year and hope you're all staying well and safe, enjoying some time with family and hopefully have some positive things to look forward to this year. It's always great to start out aspirational, see where it lands later. But welcome this morning. And we have a very special show this morning. We're going to be focusing on women's sport. Last year on the show, we spoke to writer and audio producer Kirby Fenwick. Kirby shared a snippet of her award-winning documentary, First Friday in February, which captured the voices of women attending the very first AFLW match in Melbourne. If you felt that was something of a tease, then you'll be delighted to know that this morning, to kick off our 2023 program, we will be sharing with you the full-length audio documentary. Before we dive into that special, though, we're going to take a listen back to what Kirby said about the importance of capturing these voices and how women in sport and sports journalism are tracking Welcome to breakfast, Kirby. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely to have you here. Now, women's sport is growing rapidly, but does not enjoy the same parity as men's sport. Can you tell us the main areas of inequality? That's such a big question. <laughs> I think um, it's interesting, firstly, to think about this idea of women's sport growing rapidly. There's a great paper by Fiona McLaughlin who talks about this idea of progress narratives in, in women's sport. Um, and she sort of dived right back into the newspaper archives, you know, 130 years and found that we've been having this conversation about women's sport is, you know, things are going so amazing and, you know, this is this is it now for 100 plus years. So it's kind of very interesting to put the current um, situation in the context of that history. Um, are we really making progress? I think is an interesting question to ask ourselves. And when we think about the inequalities um, that still persist, you have to sort of wonder because you look at some elite sort of national competitions that, and I'm thinking of things like the AFLW here that are not even afforded a complete season. So they don't actually get to play every team in the competition. And, you know, there's lots of instances where athletes just are not able to be full time because they're just not paid enough. So there's a lot of those kind of inequalities that persist. And I think also the media coverage is a big one as well. I think we know we have research that consistently shows that women's sport struggles to get even 10% of media coverage. And that's something that we have research dating back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years to demonstrate that that's an ongoing problem. Mm. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I know you've recently explored that very issue in a research project for your honours thesis. Can you tell us a bit more about what you found in terms of the marginalisation of women in sports media and some of the layers of complexity that you discovered? 
Yeah. I wish I could say that I was surprised by my research. <laughs> um, I wasn't. Um, I was kind of expecting um, what I found to be the case. So I spoke to 12 women uh, in sports journalism, a, a range of women who sort of you might consider more pioneers who had been in and around sports journalism for sort of 20 plus years, uh, women who was you might consider to be more just sort of established. So they've been on the scene for maybe between five and 15 years. And then I also, also spoke to emerging or aspiring women, so women who were not yet in the industry or had only been in the industry for a short time. And what I found was that there wasn't a huge difference between the sort of challenges and barriers that women who were very new or not yet in the industry and women who had been around for a couple of decades, there wasn't a lot of difference between the things that they were identifying. And that kind of, I think, demonstrates that not a lot has changed and there's still uh, a lot um, of challenges that women in sports journalism face just trying to do their job. Mm. Do you want to go into some of the examples of those sorts of challenges? Yeah, I think some of the most significant ones are this idea that women have to prove themselves in sport. And I think you can trace that really to the very foundations of sport as being a place for and by men. And so women or anyone else um, is not who is sort of not a cis white man um, this is not their space and so there is this constant sort of feeling of needing to prove yourself to prove your expertise to prove your knowledge to prove that you belong here and that's exhausting um, I think working in media is is challenging as it is you know all those deadlines and having to meet all those sort of requirements and then on top of that having to just prove that you that you deserve to be here, that you have the experience, the skill, the knowledge. And I, that was something in my research that was identified by women who were pioneers and women who were emerging, by women who were like across the, the generational cohorts. So this is not something that's specific to someone that's, say, only been doing this for six months. This is something that a woman who had been working in the industry for 20 years still felt, that she had to prove herself. Um, and I think that was really disappointing for me personally to hear that, to think, oh, my God, like being in the industry for a really long time doesn't mean that you, you know, magically are able to overcome those kind of things. They're still there. Um, and there was, you know, some other things that were identified, things like the pay gap, which I think we all know about, um, the challenges of trying to balance family and or parenting with a job that is kind of all hours. I mean, sport happens often a lot on the weekend or the evening. Um, and so that makes things quite challenging. I think social media was a big one that came up as well. Um, you know, we know that women are a group on social media that are often or more often likely to be the target of abuse. And I think when you sort of layer in sport, a space where, you know, women have had to fight for every kind of opportunity that, that, that they've had, that just kind of exacerbates that situation. So there were some women that I spoke to that kind of don't engage in social media at all. And possibly they, they spoke about that being a detriment to their career. Because if you're not able to use social media to sort of share your work and grow your profile, what does that mean for your career long term? Because it's kind of expected that that's what we do now. We use Twitter, we use Facebook, we use Instagram or various other platforms that I'm too old to engage with um, to grow our career. But if you're sort of concerned about doing that because of the pushback that you might get from, you know, a whole bunch of faceless people, what does that mean for your career long term? So I think that's, that's a big challenge as well. 
If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am. And if you've just tuned in, you're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, our first show for the new year. We've been listening back to a discussion on women's sport with writer and audio producer Kirby Fenwick. Kirby's audio documentary, First Friday in February, captured the voices of women attending the first AFLW match in Melbourne back in 2017 and was awarded an Oral History Victoria Prize. We're going to bring you that audio in full very shortly in this morning's program. But first, Kirby tells us what motivated her to capture these voices at that historic match. Well, I was there. I went along to that game. Uh, I think I got there like two hours before the first bounce because I was so worried about not being able to get in. Um, I'm not sure if people recall, but originally that first game was scheduled to be played at Olympic Park, um, which is down uh, in that sort of MCG precinct with, um, you know, Rod Laver and and those sort of places. That's just kind of like a training ground. There's no kind of grandstands there or, or really seating or undercover areas. That's where they had scheduled the first game of the AFLW. And then sort of the community pressure and the, you know, the media focus kind of pushed it to um, to Princess Park in Carlton. And at the time, the capacity of that ground, I think, was about 20,000, 22,500 or something like that. And I just felt very much like I need to get here. I don't want to miss out on this moment. Um, and yeah, I, I was in that crowd and feeling all those like incredible emotions of having been a lifelong footy fan and finally seeing people that looked like me, obviously much younger and fitter, <laughs> um, you know, out on a footy field playing this game that I had grown up supporting. It was a, a really emotional experience. And I was still having those feelings like this was in February and like months later I was still thinking about like mm. how important that game was and yeah there was video footage and we had the broadcast and there was radio and there was plenty of media coverage of it and you know I knew that players would release books and all sorts of things in in later years but what I who I really wanted to talk to was the people like me the fans who had just gone along. And so I just had this idea that I would um, make an audio documentary and I had no idea what that actually meant and that's probably for the best because <laughs> I'm not sure I would have done it if I knew. Um, but, yeah, I just decided I, that I wanted to talk to people and sort of capture their stories and, and um, yeah, record that moment in a really personal way. 
when you think about the history of women's sport, there are so many stories that have just gone untold and so many moments that, you know, are sort of lost really to time um, for various reasons. And I think that's why I feel quite sort of compelled to try to record these kind of things or tell these stories because they haven't been given the sort of opportunity to be a part of the cultural narrative that we have about sport. And I think they deserve to be. And I, I just, I think telling storytelling is so important. It's such an integral part of the way that we communicate with each other and the way that we sort of build the sense that we have of ourselves and of our communities and, and being able to tell those stories is it's something that I feel quite strongly about and I think that there is just a huge amount of value. I just I get so much joy too out of finding some random thing in the archives and being able to share it with people and have them go, oh, my God, really? I'm like, yeah, how amazing is this history of women's sport that there just are so many untold stories. So, um, yeah, it's hugely important. And I think too one of the reasons why I'm so invested in it is that I have this perhaps incredibly optimistic <laughs> belief that we might be able to shift some of the cultural narrative that we have about sport and who sport is for by telling these stories and by bringing new and more voices into the conversation. And maybe we can begin to break down some of those things in sport that have continued to marginalise people and limit their access and you know, stop them sort of going to sport or participating in sport. If we can reshape this idea that we have of sport through storytelling, I, I just think that's a real positive thing. And that was Kirby Fenwick speaking about the importance of storytelling in elevating the position of women in sport. You can read more about Kirby Fenwick on her website, www.kirbyfenwick.com or check out the Siren website at sirensport.com.au. Now we're going to take a deep dive into the first AFLW match in Melbourne. Here is Kirby Fenwick's audio documentary, first Friday in February. You're listening to summer programming on 3CR 855 AM. 3CR digital, streaming on 3cr.org.au or via the Community Radio app. It felt like something that my heart and my brain had wanted for so long, and I truly didn't believe I would ever see it. It was, it was bigger than football. I think it finally hit me that the ball's being tossed for the first game. There is no going back now. skipper Steph Kiyochi and here come the Blues led out by Captain Lauren Arnell. It's before AFLW, after AFLW. It's a new era in our great game. On Friday, February 3rd, 2017, Aussie rules football changed forever. There were 24,500 people packed into the stands at Princess Park in Melbourne that night and when the siren sounded, and the ball was thrown into the air for the first time. They erupted. Their roar and expression of their passion, of their joy, of long-held dreams, realised. 
the roar of the crowd that just took my breath away. It was incredible. It was it was so loud. It felt like there was about 80,000 people at the MCG, when in reality it was 25,000 at Princess Park. It felt like something really special was about to happen. Women have been playing football for more than 100 years. The first recorded game was played in Perth in 1915. More games followed, albeit sporadically, until state-based leagues began launching from the early 1980s. The first? The Victorian Women's Football League in 1981. In 2010, the AFL commissioned a report into women's football. A series of exhibition matches starting in 2013 grew from that report. It was the success of those exhibition matches that encouraged the AFL to bring forward their plans for a national women's football league. And so the AFLW was born. There are thousands of stories from that inaugural season. Feats of strength and skill and endurance both on-field and off. Tales of resilience and determination, of dreams dashed and rebuilt. But their genesis was that warm Friday night in February, when 32 women clad in the navy blue of Carlton and the black and white stripes of Collingwood took to the field. The first Friday in February will take you back to that night, reliving that first AFLW game and all that it meant through the memories of women who were there. They each have a story, their story, of that first Friday in February. My name is Bronwyn. My name is Ashling. I'm Janae Gibson. My name is Fiona. My name is Katie. I'm Emma Race. My name is Janet Graham. My name is Kylie Maslin. My name is Lucy Watkin. My name is Polly. My name is Sarah Black. Hi, my name is Angela Pippos and I was at the first AFLW match between Carlton and Collingwood and it was, without a doubt, one of the best nights of my life. When the AFLW was announced, I was I was so excited. As soon as it was announced, I knew I would have to be there. I always knew that I was going to go to the first game. I just I had to be there. I didn't I didn't think twice about that. It was something that I'd in a way been waiting my whole life for to see women playing football at the highest level. Oh, I was always going to go. I, there's no way that... I just felt like they couldn't bounce the ball without me, <laughs> surely. There was absolutely no question that I was going. It was just something I had to do. It wasn't... I put it in my calendar that day. The day it was announced it was happening. We didn't actually know at that point the fixture, but I, I remember putting it in, in the calendar for, you know, February 1 or something. Keep a watch out. You're going to the first women's game. It wasn't even a decision. It was just, oh yeah, Collingwood's playing. It's the first women's game. It's like, obviously I'm going to attend. I just remember every day just messaging my sisters, being like, this many days until the game. She's excited. Talking about like who we thought would win, which team looked better, like better forward line, better defence. But I remember distinctly we were at a footy training the Thursday before, so the night before, and one of the girls, I think maybe the captain, asked who's going to go 
to the opening round of footy this week and like every single girl in our team put their hand up like it was just a no-brainer everyone was going it felt like really visceral and and perhaps that was like for everybody as as well that I couldn't not be there more than I had to be there I couldn't not I had to see it it was that thing of going no I've got to stand up and be counted and I might not be the most passionate person in the world about footy but there's something to me about a situation where the audience actually know they're needed that makes a much more remarkable event whether it's theatre or politics or sport. When they said it was going to be at Olympic Park Oval I was a little bit dubious um, I was sort of going mm, I reckon they're going to get a bigger crowd than that um, went to the practice match between Collingwood and the Bulldogs on Australia Day and that was a lovely atmosphere, people just laying out in the sun, everything. But I was looking around going, yeah, no, this is not going to work for a proper, fully-fledged match. The AFL had originally predicted a crowd of between five and 10,000 people for the first game. But when 2,000 fans showed up to an unadvertised practice match between Melbourne and Carlton a fortnight before the opening match, they were forced to rethink their round one scheduling. And on January 23rd, less than two weeks from that first Friday in February, they shifted the match from Olympic Park Oval to Princess Park. I just couldn't even believe they ever thought they could play this game at Olympic Park. I remember joking with my sisters going, well, we'll have to get a barge. We'll have to be in the Yarra to be able to see it. There will be no traffic going anywhere down Brunton Avenue because there will just be people everywhere. There was no way that the Holden Centre was going to be able to accommodate that many people. And I don't even think even if it wasn't 25,000 people, it still wasn't a suitable ground for the opening game. But when it was announced that it was going to Princess Park, then it was just, that was just a real wave. I knew that there was, it was going to feel like going to the footy in a way in that, you know, there would be a crowd coming together and we would all be in the stands, but... I also could kind of sense from the build-up to it that it was also going to be something completely of its own. And so when they decided to move to a bigger venue, I think that's when it really hit me of like, this is a really special thing and this is a really historic occasion and you just have to be there and you just have to celebrate this moment. It was, I think for me it was that there was going to be a bounce on Friday night and then we could back it up. It wasn't a one-time thing because the exhibition matches had been so thrilling, but it had been a special and a one-off. It felt like, you know, this really is the start of something and to know that we had eight weeks of being able to watch it and get invested in it, it felt like that bounce was a really important one. I decided to be really early, like super nerdly early, like two and a half hours early. And it was such a beautiful evening. It was just, it was perfect weather. I was pottering down the bike track and I was overtaking all these people who were going to the game you know they were walking along they were getting off trams they were as early as I was and there was just such 
and intensity already. There was already this feeling of significance, of people really feeling like something important was about to happen. I got to got myself to Royal Parade and three trams went past me full. They didn't stop. And I thought, okay, you don't wait for a tram, you walk. And as I walked towards Prince's Park, I realised hundreds of other people were doing the same. Mostly women, not all. Everybody walking in the same direction. It was pretty obvious where they were going. I remember it being so jam-packed that I was worried I wouldn't get in. It was even even that early. And I knew I was going to go the next day to see the Bulldogs' first match, but I wanted to see this one so, so much. It was special. down Sydney Road and there were a few people on the tram who looked like they were going to the footy and because it was summer it kind of felt a bit out of place but really exciting like it was the start of the season but as we got down towards Royal Park the tram driver announced if you're going to the game you could either get off at this stop or you could get off at the next stop they're both sort of equal distance to each other and they were both getting there. And she was trying to be really, really calm and just, you know, being quite professional and announcing to the people in the tram what the information that they needed. But then she was just kind of holding in this excitement and then it all just came out and she was like, go girl, we just really hope you have a really good night. <laughs> and everyone in the tram cheered and... It was just so beautiful and I just, I just, I, yeah, it makes me quite emotional now because I just remember kind of tearing up and just really, yeah, feeling like this was going to be something special. It was hot. I remember it being hot. And I remember this just incredible excitement in the air and just people was skipping along it was it was a unique feeling it wasn't like going to a normal AFL game there was something different about it there was something there was something in the air that was different and special and unique I could just there was so much traffic and like people getting off trams and stuff and that's when I just oh I'm getting already started getting the goosebumps of oh my god like this is gonna be bigger than what I thought so yeah, I just lined up at the closest gate I could get to. It was a massive queue. There was just people everywhere. They were doing their best at the gate to keep it sort of under control, but it was obvious that nobody had really anticipated the crowd was going to be so so huge. When I walked into the stadium, it was relief initially, but then just joy. I just got as close to the fence as I could get in a standing area. And it was just a feeling of utter joy. Barely a spare seat in the house, fair to say, here at Princess Park right now. And the word from outside the ground is they're still streaming in, trying to find a vantage point to watch this historic match. I remember 
feeling like there was a crowd building, but just having no idea how busy it was going to get. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it was just pandemonium. I could just see the whole ground getting fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller. I remember standing and just watching the ground fill. I remember just sitting in there feeling the build-up and the build-up and the build-up. And when the teams first ran on, like, the noise of the crowd was just so loud. And I don't know, I just, I started crying. Like, everyone around me was tearing up. When the girls ran out, I just remember my heart was, like, beating a thousand miles a minute. I remember I took a photo of the women lining up before the game and because it was so sunny, there was, like, such a reflection on the photo. So I, I put it in black and white and put it up on my Instagram and someone said to me, like, I feel like it was so appropriate that you put that up in black and white because it was, like, A, such a historical moment, but B, you know, why didn't this happen earlier? <laughs> like, it could have been an actual black and white photo and it would have had the same meaning and significance, but so overdue. I think I was crying. I think I had, I had, I'm going to cry now if I talk about it, very overcome and feeling, I was witnessing something special and, and to have them lined up and, you know, it, I didn't care it was Collingwood and Carlton. I didn't care. It didn't matter. It, it just felt like, oh my God, the, the game's about to start and, and it's happening. of that first siren and the umpire holding the ball up and it was like this is it we're here we're here it's actually happening and the hits the hits early were a little bit bone crunching it was just really intense early on it was it was intense the tackling and the effort and the pressure was was as good as you'd see it was it was absolutely incredible for me the defining moment of the game was not the opening bounce, but what happened after the opening bounce. The ball goes up, Emma King taps it out, Sarah Hoskin goes for it, and a Collingwood player just flat out just runs into her, and every single person in the crowd just went, oh. And I think that was everyone just sort of going, geez, like these girls, they're not messing about. They are here to play. Such ferocity to start the game and so typical of women's football as I know it, just being really contested, hard football, played with great physicality and intent. These women were out there playing the game of their lives and weren't going to leave anything out on the field. I just remember that first few moments of the match, you know, it was such tight, tough, desperate football, the sort of football you get at the beginning of a grand final and it was so intense yet there was this moment of sort of inner peace just for me to be able to see uh, what was happening out there that we finally got to this point. Yvette Andrews was the founding secretary of the Sydney Women's Australian Football League. A premiership player with the Western Wolves, the league's Players Player Award is named in her honour. For Yvette, 
there was an intensity to that night that will never be matched. I just had no plans and I noticed on Facebook a few people going, oh, we're going down to the game. I was like, oh, yeah, well, that'd, that'd be cool. And then on Friday, I had lunch with my cousin and she'd flown up from Melbourne and I was sitting in the middle of Sydney having lunch with her and I suddenly realised I could just fly down there. And at that moment I thought, I need to fly down there. So I went back to my desk and got online and desperately tried to find a flight that would get down there in time and, you know, the internet was going pretty slowly and kept timing out and was getting a bit stressful and very expensive. But I, by that point I just didn't care. And so I logged on, got my ticket and then just ran out of the office. It was about 3 o'clock and jumped on a train and went to the airport and ran the entire way, ran up to the front of the, you know, VIP desk and said, oh, you've got to get me onto this flight and, you know, they're about to close it. You know, I didn't have I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have a toothbrush. I didn't have anything. Got on the plane, flew down, pushed my way off the plane, ran to the taxi rank, pushed my way out the front of that and jumped in a cab. And I've never been to Princess Park, so I had no idea. I was just hoping to God the taxi was taking me the quickest way. And it was pretty hectic traffic on a Friday Arvo. And, yeah, just pulled up and there was a big traffic jam and I just went, I'm running from here, jumped out, just ran to this ground, crowds everywhere. I thought, I'm not going to get in. And I sort of ran around the ground and in the end I just ran up to the front of the queue and walked in. I probably just walked straight past Gil McLaughlin. I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> and I was like, I deserve to be at this game. It suddenly dawned on me that how unbelievably significant it was. And I walked straight up the first set of stairs and it was just, you know, packed. And I stood, you know, in one of the kind of aisleways and I had the most perfect view of the ground um, right on the halfway line and looking straight across at the two teams standing up to sing the national anthem in this beautiful late afternoon glow. And it was just one of the most emotional moments I've ever experienced. It was just... It was beautiful to see the respect and the passion that we'd had for such a long time for us playing the game was now you know shared by so many other people and yeah I just I stood there and it all happened and the you know the, the center bounce happened and there was the repeat stoppage and it was like wow that was so great let's do it again <laughs> Piotti can she create history? Takes on the Hosking tackle, goes around the body, gets full purchase on it, and it'll miss to the right. It, it's actually really hard to remember the the actual game. Like, there's only a few things that really pop out because the the environment was so overwhelming. Like the the atmosphere was so overwhelming that you, you kind of it just blurs into one amazing experience. Long raking kick from Hutchins inside 50. Big contest. And a great opportunity now for Jasmine Garner to go back and kick the opening goal of the game. Here's Garner for the opening goal. And there's a piece of history for Jazzy Garner. I'd spoken to Collingwood coach Wayne Siegman leading up to the mat, or leading up to the whole season, and asked him about a few players, and one of them was, was Jazzy Garner. And he was really, really bullish about her. He said, oh, she's yes, she's slid in the draft, but we are so happy to have her. Yes, she's got to work on her fitness, but she's the best pair of hands in the competition. And at the time, I was sort of like, oh, yeah, that's just a coach backing their player to the hilt. 
So to actually see her take that mark, have the composure to calmly go back and slot the goal, it was almost like a, a, full, st- a full stop. We're here, goal, full stop. I had to MC the official function that night, so I was surrounded by the most magnificent group of women who worked hard for this to happen and who pushed for equality in football long before it was fashionable to do so. So I, I was feeling emotional before I even got to the ground and then there I was standing addressing this group of people. So I knew that there were going to be tears that night and probably you know before the match even started. <laughs> and look... It was an emotional night. It was an important night. It meant more than football to me and many others. And it will go down in my history of covering sport as one of the greatest moments for me in a sporting contest. It's a story that I can tell my son and probably every other person that I know (laughs) about how great that night was. Darcy Vissio I remember towards the end of my presentation, uh, somebody slipped me a note with the crowd figure. So in my summary, I was told to, to give the crowd figure. And at that point... It was uh, ten to twelve thousand and rising, so you know it, it, it didn't tell us what was about to happen. It it told us that yep, we've got some good numbers. Um, we're still you know forty five minutes to an hour before game time. Um, there's a crowd building. It's a nice crowd, but it certainly didn't flag what was about to happen. It was verging on, I think, the end of the first quarter by the time we got there. So all of us were hightailing it to Icon. And as we were heading there, there were hundreds of people sort of exiting. And I said to a couple of the girls, oh, no, we're not going to get in here. So we just sort of said, oh, bugger it, let's have a crack and see what happens. And, um, yeah, we headed towards the, towards the stands and... We didn't go to the the main gate. We actually went to a side entrance where a security guard was standing, and and um, you know I just had a mild discussion with the <laughs> with the security guard about how it's a free event and they can't lock us out. He was trying to tell us to go around to the main gate, and I got a little bit more vocal uh, nicely, and I think I ended up with about thirty five other people. <laughs> come up and cheer with me and uh, eventually a gentleman in a Collingwood um, shirt went up to the security guard and said just let them all in. I think it was not even five minutes later they called a lockout. And the official word from the AFL, we have a lockout. It is a lockout at Princess Park. When they said it was a lockout, everyone cheered. I felt so vindicated. When there was that announcement that came over, the ground is full, there's 2,000 people outside, 
it was an, for me that was an overwhelming moment of wow like the, they thought they could do this at Olympic Park they've had to move it and then it's still not big enough mm. we saw Gillan McLaughlin walk out past us and start making the announcement we're like they are seriously locking the doors we were standing there and we could see this one little door that had opened somehow people jimmied open like this little tiny corrugated iron door and people were just streaming in through it was like a, where they obviously sell pies or something and people were streaming in through that and there was people trying to climb over the fence and it was like it just felt like I was seeing the whole thing in sepia like it was already history just being made right in front of my eyes obviously you could see the point where it got from being a novelty to being dangerous and actually having to shut the doors is something that I don't think anyone for some reason I don't think they had thought that would happen I felt like yeah no shit shit luck <laughs> The moment when the kind of news broke that the gates had been locked and that they couldn't let any more people in, there was almost like a cheer in the ground as that news kind of spread around. So many people said, no, people don't care about women's sport, people don't care about women's footy, this isn't going to work, there's only going to be like a few thousand people there, whatever, who cares? And then it was, we've showed you, it's a lockout, there's 25,000 people here. AFLW is here, this is huge, like you can't take this away from us. As fierce and ferocious as the opening quarter was, it was also overflowing with historic moments. Collingwood's Jasmine Garner had kicked her way into the history books with the first ever AFLW goal. Carlton's Darcy Vessio had lit the spark that would see her achieve cult hero status by the final siren. And towards the end of the quarter, AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin headed outside Princess Park to apologise to the many fans left outside after the game was officially called a lockout. Watching Darcy Bessio just dominate that game. She was incredible to watch. And I just vividly remember thinking, how do you get a top knot that indestructible? (laughs) She was just throwing herself at the footy, her hair did not move, <laughs> and that's maybe a silly memory, but I've never watched anyone play footy with a top knot before, let alone play footy that well with a top knot before, and that really stood out for me as a little moment of the game. Baby with a look away fist, Adan has to meet it. She'll wear the Barton pressure, Hosking in harm's way. I remember... The game itself was a bit scrappy in a way. Like, it was really kind of hard-fought footy. There was a lot of time scrapping on the ground trying to get the ball. But I remember thinking this is just a really pure and honest game of footy. Like, this is how people play footy when they don't play in the AFL. This is the kind of footy that I grew up watching in the State League and in reserves and that it was almost like a more pure form of the game than what the AFL has become. But actually, the way that the women's 
were playing footy was actually just real pure footy and that was so enjoyable to watch and I don't know what I had been expecting to watch but it wasn't that but it was really it was just really fun and there was something about watching women play in this hard-fought scrappy way that made it an even more pure experience because there had been so much talk leading up to the game about how women play. There was a lot of thinly veiled misogynism against women getting injured and what the ramifications would be and how you need to protect women and what sort of injuries they might get that are different to men and all this sort of rubbish. And then just to watch them scrap it out and fight it out in a really honest game of footy was really, really wonderful to see. You could tell they were nervous. It seemed to be really congested. And I was already seeing there cursing the only 16 in a side and not 18 because I felt like it... Um, they didn't feel like if they got the ball out that there was uh, enough people to run it to. But it was... The effort was unbelievable. Those girls... You usually can't hear the smacking of the bodies in an AFL game because there's too much round noise. But this one you could hear the smacking of body against body, especially if they were near you, and, and how serious everybody was going for it. In a way, what you saw in the match, you kept seeing netball and volleyball and all these other sports being brought onto the field because girls have played those sports in a way more than footy, it felt like. But you also saw that morphing into something else. And I started feeling as though women's football might actually end up being kind of unique. I think it will be different to men's football. And I think that's no bad thing. Lucas right out the back. Has she got time to try and give the Blues a fours? Tilly said misses. I think the thing that really stands out to me when I think about, when I think back on the game is the fact that it, in so many ways once they started playing it's like oh this is like this is football of course it, it's different because it's women and it's this historic event and it's you know this is the first of its kind and it's changing the game forever but in so many ways it's it's the same thing it's football it's you know I think it was this kind of sense of belonging and ownership of something that we haven't had before. remember thinking no time on is interesting you want to make the most of your chances. And it was really tight early. Collingwood got the first goal but couldn't kick on. And then I remember thinking Bree Davy is awesome and Darcy Bessio is just how appropriate that um, the quirky, wonderful Darcy Bessio is, is the star tonight. Pop up four goals. Thanks very much. When Carlton got going, they looked a million dollars, and I was particularly impressed with Darcy Vescio. This this girl who's not all that tall just seems to have the ability to pop up into the air and grab a mark. <laughs> She's pretty amazing. The way that they applied themselves, you know, the pressure and intensity from... And I kept thinking, they've got to... Their fitness has got to give out here. They're... they're my physical education background was thinking, you know, they've only had four months with their club. They all work full time and they, you know, their fitness has got to give out. But they just kept 
it, it was like they were possessed, all of them out there. They were, it was like they knew that this was, this was not just another game. This was, and this wasn't just the first game of the season. They knew that this was bigger than that, that a lot of people had gone before them to, to get us to this point, had built it up at grassroots level. And, and I got that sense from the players that they they knew that and they were just going to give 110% over and over and over again because they were on the stage for women. They were on the big stage for women in general and, and they were giving back for that. At the feet of air, she's got Fessio out the back, staring at a third goal. This might really break the game open for the Blues. It was exhilarating. I'd never seen so many women anywhere before. That was amazing. That was that was empowering. That was... You realise that you don't see... This is going to sound stupid, but your own kind in such a powerful setting? You never can. I, I, don't, I can't imagine it ever happening again. Just women like that. It's not that there weren't blokes around, but it was women who were significant. And it felt owned by those women. And I saw... You know, inside the stadium, there I saw a woman in a walker frame, for God's sake. She was this little old lady with her little old friends, just, you know, and you thought, wow, how long have you waited for this? You've waited a long time. It was so crowded. There was, there was waves of heat coming off the crowd. It was incredibly crowded, and I reckon there were more people than they said. The crowd, to my mind, was unique. I don't imagine I'll ever see any any crowd like that certainly there were traditional footy people there of course but this was much richer it was this was people who'd been waiting for the chance and that didn't mean they hadn't had a lifetime of enjoying footy but this was different I I think for me that woman in a walk frame (laughs) signified so much for a start, she had to climb up and down stairs in a walker frame. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't easy for her to be there. And I wondered whether she even regularly came to footy. The, the fact was, you felt that you didn't want to watch it at home from your lounge room. You wanted to be there in person. You felt that it was important to be there in person and to show that it mattered to you. One thing that really struck me was just a real diversity in the crowd, like, you know, gender-wise. I mean, obviously, I felt already quite split between, you know, genders, but just seeing, yeah, people of all kinds of sexualities, races, ages, it just seemed like it was drawing a much more diverse crowd or at least openly diverse in terms of sexuality in particular. Everyone was just so excited. You know, again, it was like just such a sense of history and excitement. People were happy to, you know, sit on the fences and <laughs> climb gates. and <laughs> Felt like a real old school game in that sense. Barton won the football and delivers it to Jess Cameron. 117 games of cricket for Australia. Cameron, can she get one back for the pie? She hits the post. There was just so much love. It, there, was, there was a lot of love in that stadium. It just felt like a, a, a warm, friendly, excited place to be. And and it, it just felt like we were all supporting something, you know, more than just Carlton and Collingwood. And, I, and leading up to it, I, I started to wonder, mm, is it just me? 
who's feeling like this. But I got a sense on the night that everyone there got it. You know, I didn't have to <laughs> bang on about it. Everyone got it. Not just the trailblazers who were standing around me, but that the, the sea of people were there to watch history in the making. And they were there for more than Collingwood and Carlton reasons. That sense of history, that sense of occasion, the weight of it all was was felt by many, many people in the ground. And that made it extra special. The other beautiful thing was all these girls wandering around in their footy jumpers, like teenage girls in little groups. And they looked, you know, really comfortable with who they were and they were really proud to be supporting their team. And they, they just looked really empowered, having a good time. You know, I thought, wow, that's cool. Sometimes I just feel really sad that I couldn't have played when I was that age. I know that sounds selfish, but I just would have loved it. Like, it would have it would have changed my experience of being a young person and, you know, and as a teenage girl. So I think when I see those teenage girls really empowered to do something they want to do is really, um, you know, emotional. For so long, maybe we've doubted ourselves but we felt we love this game and we knew that we had a right to play it and watch women play it and that as soon as it was on and it was the real one it was the real deal it was an exhibition match if you build it they will come <laughs> and that's what it felt like I was watching it was real fields of field of dreams stuff that pound taken to the deck here at a packed icon park if you're just joining us a lockout the opening night of the NAB AFL women's competition At the end of the second quarter, the sun sat low on the horizon and the ground was bathed in a twilight glow. While seeming to find a burst of form towards the end of the quarter, Collingwood were hampered by inaccuracy and Carlton held on to a 15-point lead going into the main break. Both teams left the ground and the crowd had a moment to catch their breath. Just behind us in the crowd, there was a woman who had a beautiful banner. It was like a big flag on a, on a stick, which was obviously like homemade paint. It's a big purple heart, and in the middle it just said women. And she was waving it around, um, and every now and then she would start up a chant that just went, women, women. And that just sums it up, that like we were there for the women who were playing the game. And we were there for the women who will play the game. We weren't there for Carlton versus Collingwood. Everyone was just really happy to be there. And it was really infectious. That kind of just, we're here and this is happening and how lucky are we to be here? You know, there were the people I expected to be ridiculously overjoyed, like, you know, the old thoughts of the game, and, and of course they were there. But then there were, you know, teenagers sitting in the aisles. There were young boys, like, sitting up on barbed wire fences. And, you know, I just just seemed to capture everyone's imagination. And it was such a beautiful kind of summer night as well. It was quite warm and... Yeah, it just felt like this party atmosphere. 
it was a real moment. I can't actually remember watching. I can't remember watching the game, but I also can't remember not watching the game. It's kind of a blur. There was just so much going on, and everyone was just beaming and grinning. It was one of those hot, beautiful Melbourne nights. It felt like the whole world was there. So it just felt like this epic excitement. And it didn't, I don't think it waned. I think it felt like that for the whole game because it was the first of everything. It was the first time that the bell had rung when they brought out the Carlton Girls. It was the first time that the siren went for quarter time. It was the first time they had a huddle. It was the first time they ran in half time. It was the first time they sang when they sang the songs on the ground. It was the first time, you know, it was the first time for everything. So I don't think that was lost on anyone. Electric, joyful, absolutely joyful. It was, and generous. It was so big-hearted. You, everyone just wanted a good match. You, you applauded no matter who did what, so long as it was great. And the detail, everyone noticed the detail. You noticed, you know, female umpires. You noticed female leaders. You noticed at the end when the players ran off with little footies and tried to find girls in the crowd to give them to. You noticed that there was this sense of history in the making and that the players were aware of it too. By that stage, we're also talking about how little they were being paid and you, you were aware of the kind of jobs that they worked at the same time and the, the pressure that was on them, but also that it, it was finally released. You know, it's like a genie was out of the bottle or something. You know, when she wasn't just wearing a bikini and some sort of weird pants and subservient to a bloke. How cool is that? <laughs> Chance now for the Pies to move it quickly. Cameron, inside 50. Hope's double team. She takes the mark. She runs away and misses. The night itself is just this roller coaster of excitement, joy, love for the people that had helped put it all together. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> Through her work as the manager of female football development for the AFL, Jan Cooper had played an important role in the growth of women's football and in the birth of the AFLW. On that Friday night, she found herself in the middle of Princess Park, tossing the coin before the opening bounce. The Channel 7 fellow came up to me before I walked out to toss the coin and I didn't realise what a big deal a coin toss was, you know, like... Quite often I go, can we get an Auskick girl to toss the coin? Well, I probably won't do that again because there's a bit of an art to it, And as I've now found out. And he said, I hope you've been practising the coin toss. And I thought he was joking. I went, yeah, whatever. I did go to Dean Margetts, who's an AFL umpire, and just say, I actually did throw it up once and went, oh, it didn't even spin. Like, that's not right. You should be spinning it, shouldn't you? He said, yes, you need to get height and you need to get rotation. So I went, yeah, all right, keep that in mind. But when the Channel 7 man mentioned it about five minutes before I was due to go out, I kind of actually went, oh dear, it's a bit late to be practising now. So it was a little bit nerve-wracking when I actually got out there and had to do it. And then I forgot to tell the two girls that the coin I was using wasn't your traditional, you know, decimal currency coin. It was a 2017 year of the rooster coin because I thought... If I'm going to give this to the National Sport Museum, which I'd already teed up that I was going to, I wanted it to be something special that reflected the game a bit. And the only thing I could think of was to get a 2017 coin. And the Mint actually said, well, you need to get a year of the rooster coin because that's what 2017 is. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. So when it landed on the rooster, both the girls leaned over and went, what's that? And I remember just going off after the coin toss and, you, and I couldn't shift. I couldn't shift from my spot outside the fence for quite some time because 
I think I was in shock that it, I think it finally hit me that the ball's being tossed for the first game. There is no going back now. We are there. You know, like this is the beginning of what will be a long journey in a national competition. So, yeah, I remember just standing there and just absorbing it all. There's Loins, found some space where there was none, kept it alive. It beat Darcy. Here's the other Darcy, Vessio, Lucas Rod, Davey, lines up and goals! There was a group of people behind me who had... They'd done that thing where you print out a single letter on different pieces of paper and then as long as you're all sitting in the right order and you all hold up your, your letter, it spells out a message. And so totally just so homemade and so disorganised, but somehow like also supremely organised because, you know, you've got to get everyone in the right arrangement. And so they had quite a long message. So they'd spread themselves across two different rows and they were each holding up a letter. And when I turned around, I couldn't quite figure it out. And so it took me a few goes at turning around to try to make all the letters line up um, until I suddenly realised what it said, which was, you play like a girl, Colin, really well. <laughs> it, was, it was so tame. Like, that is the most tame message, but so heartfelt. And they, they were holding that up at the start and so part of me was just imagining what it must be like to be out on the ground. But the other part of me was just just so overwhelmed by how beautifully the crowd were reflecting what was going on. Like, that wasn't a eat them alive kind of banner. That was, there was nothing, nothing aggressive about that. There was nothing partisan about it. There was nothing club versus club. It was just so supportive it's just like good on you keep doing what you're doing I really like your work you play like a girl really well (laughs) I don't even remember the final score I just remember it being such a thrill to be watching like two teams of women play on an elite level in my favorite sport for the first time ever and I didn't care who won or lost I didn't care I was cheering for every player doing anything I didn't care who was doing what I just wanted to cheer everyone I was so happy that they were out there <laughs> I mean I didn't barrack for Carlton or Collingwood so it didn't matter like it usually does in a team tribal sense you know but it was like I don't care who who wins I just want this spectacle to be great and everyone to love it and I think that's how most people there felt there wasn't you know there was a a woman who had a Sydney jacket on and Collingwood scarf and her niece was playing for um Collingwood and she was like I never thought I'd wear a Collingwood scarf but (laughs) you know it doesn't matter today like team club loyalty doesn't matter it's it's about you know women's sport nat exxon who was like who's tiny just completely wrapping up a collingwood player and just taking her to the ground the best tackle of the night meg hutchins really stood out as well i'd heard a lot about meg that she was you know this stalwart of vfl women's footy so to see her in action she was just so steady down back they were being absolutely bombarded in patches the magpies and she had a really noticeable calming effect. She's got good hands, really long kick. Yeah, so she was excellent. And Emma King as well, just dominance in the ruck. Just the Collingwood midfield couldn't really capitalise on it. 
I went out in the third quarter with the purpose of just, you know, grabbing a few stories from the crowd. Like I spoke to a guy who said he'd been going to Princess Park for 40 years, you know, rusted on Carlton fan. And he was like, oh, you know, this is this is the Mosquito fleet of old, this is. You know, oh, that, that number two, she's dashing around everywhere. Oh, I like, you know, that number three, she's really nippy. Of course, Darcy. She was just, Darcy Vessio was absolutely electric. She was agile. She, that goal she kicked in the goal square where she went up as an, in a ruck contest. Like, you know, and Darcy's not tall, but she went up in the ruck contest, pulled it down and jammed it onto her boot. And you sort of thought, oh, we're dealing with a serious player here. 2 on 2, here's Vessio again, left foot step, bounces through! Imagine if we never got to see Darcy Vessio play football on the biggest stage. You know, a lot was talked about. You know, our star was born that night with Darcy Vessio, but really, she was already a star and she just finally had the right side stage to perform on. Night had fallen by the end of the third quarter and the ferocity of the first half had continued unabated into the second. Goals from Darcy Vessio and Bree Davey had strengthened Carlton's hold on the game. With this final break came a growing sense of what was to come. The first ever AFLW win. Young girls and boys can see these strong, fit women who they can look up to, be inspired by, and but particularly for girls to have these role models who are tough and strong and fit and healthy and can show you that these things aren't—they don't come in just a one-size-fits-all package that. You can be these things no matter your physicality. You know, you had players like little Lily Mitten, you know, to Emma King, Sarah Perkins, Erin Phillips, Moana Hope, like Sabrina Frederick Traw. They were, they showed that femaleness in all different sizes, colours, shapes, cover art, and that there's no right way to look or be or act as a girl, that you can be yourself and you should be yourself. I remember it as being a very physical feeling. I remember getting teary several times in that game. I still get teary to think about it. Just seeing women being strong and beautiful, but not in that male gaze way. There's something about the strength of women in a situation like that that is just a gift to every woman in the ground. The body shapes I loved. I loved how small some of them were. I loved how big some of them were. I loved seeing all the buns on their heads and the interesting plait designs. <laughs> and I loved how strong they were. They were strong. And I don't think that's something that we see enough. Yeah, their prettiness was in the confidence that their strength was giving them. I, I, I loved how many young kids were there, especially young girls, but I loved that there were young boys there as well. But for the young girls, it was it was a dream awakening, a waking dream, you know, a dream that I think a lot of women wouldn't have even let themselves have before that match. I still feel really emotional thinking about it. I'm so glad I went. I was crazy to have not thought of 
how significant that moment would have been earlier. But I'm so glad I went. I don't think I've ever been to a sporting match that felt like that or will ever feel like that again. I mean, I, I went to the Swans grand final in 2005 when they hadn't won for seven years. This was this was better than that. This was extraordinary. I keep saying it was a sort of a pure expression of football, and I, I really think it was. It was there wasn't you know no one paid for a ticket. Really, the women weren't being paid, you know, in the same way that, that the men are. They still all got their jobs, and and I just think you know that there's something about that that you can't capture. It was it was a historic moment, but it was also an expression of love of footy and also of respectful women. Concedes to retain possession. This is Meg Hutchins. Will the Pies be bold and use the corridor? Hutchins does. It was a brave kick. It was a good kick too to Edwards. She's got Cameron at centre half. What was it that motivated these people to come along to this first game in the women's comp? So many of them were drawn there because it reflected something that they really believed in. It represented something that had been lacking, that it it allowed them to show their values in a way. And what fascinated me, I, real, I realised this as I was wandering around and seeing these total non-football, non AFL, non-alpha sport, just non-sport people turning up to this game. They were attending the first game of the women's AFL comp as a subversive act. It was... It was sending a message. It was throwing their support behind what it meant to have this elite level women's competition. I loved that it wasn't just about the women playing, but it was you know, that women were umpiring it, that the journos um, out on the ground were women, that the crowd was such a significant proportion of women that, you know, it just, it emphasised so much about what had been lacking and what sport could be um, and that there was this huge appetite for that. But that message at that first game was so loud and so clear. It was amazing. Chips the kick, the bounce for Fessio. I was only saying the other day that I hate it when people describe things as indescribable, but that's really how it was. To watch girls go out there and have fun and do the thing that I have loved watching boys do just profoundly affected me. I mean, I, I, I certainly felt that that, whole, that first game and then the whole weekend and, and really the whole eight weeks, I felt I was floating through a particular time that was different to me. So it's on a visceral level. I think it's affected... It's changed something in the way I think about myself as a, as a woman and, and you know, the little girl in me that might have had a crack, mightn't have been so frightened of, of things, might have had a go. 
had I been young again after seeing that. I think it's the highlight of my life. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> I wasn't playing, but it was one of the only things I've ever gone to where women were that important. That's a terrible thing to say because women should be important often, but they're not. And that was a statement. It was it was such a up-you kind of statement too. And, and it was, even though there was so much support for it, we think, it was still done in the face of everything. There were still so many naysayers. My 14-year-old son can play better than those girls. No, he can't. Those women are amazing and they're going to get more amazing. And I think for me what it was was that we were all significant on that day. We all contributed. The players, of course, were obvious. But without the rest of us, that was nothing. (laughs) With us, it was a match. (laughs) A match to remember, really. I think one of the experiences that really stayed with me was when I first got there and these three women that I sat with was actually, it was like they were a grandma and a mum and a daughter all in there, you know, full-on Collingwood outfits. They were obviously full-on passionate football supporters and across the generations, but I don't know when it was through the game, but everyone was just going crazy. The woman I was sitting next to who was the grandmother, so she would have been, I guess, in her late 70s maybe, she just turned to me with tears in her eyes and she was just like, this is the best thing that has happened for women in such a long time and I so wish I'd had this when I was a girl. I hated wearing dresses and they told me I had to wear dresses all the time and I wasn't allowed to play sport and I wasn't playing footy and I would have loved to have played football like this. And she was just absolutely like overflowing with emotion about how amazing it was and and stuff so that just that conversation I had with her that night and the watching the three of them interact about how excited they were to see this and to see their their team as well that really stayed with me and was really um that was a really special sort of just moment during the game where where you felt like these are the little moments you need to catch and show people and go you know what this is what it means to people to see this sort of stuff this is why this is important there's a whole lot of people's lives out there who are, can be profoundly impacted. Once again, we see the elite hands of Bianca Jacobson. So a chance for Jacobson to put the exclamation point on an impressive performance for the Blues. I'm certainly very glad I went to that first game. It, it, it was important. as uh, In the history of women's football... That was a significant milestone. And it seemed like on that opening night, women's football stepped out of the shadows and it it proudly stood there and said, we belong and we're going to show you that we fit right into this space. After all these years of hearing the refrain that it's a man's game, no one can tell me that this is a man's game anymore because this is the the final irrefutable proof that it's not.
At the final siren, it was Carlton who were triumphant. And while Darcy Vessio's cult hero status was ensured, everyone inside Prince's Park that night, on field and off, had been a part of something truly remarkable. The siren went, and yes, there was a win, and yes, there was a team song, but there was also that moment, that spellbound moment where time just kind of hovers before it shatters and moves on, just kind of where everyone sort of just gathered up the importance of it all just for a couple of seconds before we all then just kind of moved on to, right, post-game ritual, here's the song, here's the team. After the final siren was interesting, it sort of felt like, yeah, again, not like a regular football match because people didn't really leave. They kind of just sat in their seats like it was almost like they didn't want it to be over or, you know, they needed to kind of process what had just happened and how fucking awesome that was. Yeah, I was left with an overriding feeling of satisfaction that, yeah, this game had delivered. And, you know, I guess the fighter in me thought, well, it's just a giant up yours to those who doubt women and and doubted whether these players would be entertaining enough. After the game, I, I wanted to soak it all in. I watched the players kind of celebrating with themselves and with the fans and I stayed and just watched the kick and catch after the game. It was, I just remember seeing so many girls out there having kick and catch with their, their dads or their mums and grandparents. And right in front of me there was this little girl who was probably about maybe five or six years old, a little attacker, and she was having a, a kick and a catch with who looked like her grandfather. And she had these bright green footy boots on and had a Wonder Woman footy that she was kicking around and I just remember being quite emotional seeing that and thinking about what it meant for all those girls growing up and you know people like me of my age who we kind of missed out on that and that's what that's what stands out as what meant so much to be there at that game that night. I met up with um, some mates on the middle of the ground and uh, one of them has an 11-year-old daughter and just hanging out with her and just feeling, you know, what a lifetime of difference there had been between me being 11 and her being 11 and how the national game, in my opinion, finally had a national women's competition um, and it was, you know, on, on television and, and watched by many. I wrote a piece which got put in the Huffington Post about it and how I felt about it and they made the headline why the AFLW changed my life forever. And I remember at the time being like, geez, that's a bit of hyperbole. I don't really think we'd go that far. But now when I talk about it and when I think about it, I'm just like, yeah, that season did, it did change my life forever. I think my life will never be the same now in the best way possible because I was there at that first game. And I think it does come down 
to being there that first game and experiencing that sort of overwhelming amount of support and love that these people had for these girls. I think that game is a real mark for sports women in this country and for women who love sport and for people who love sport. I think it's a really historic moment in so many ways and I just feel so happy and so proud to have been there. I think for the LGBTI community it's huge in that normalisation of relationships for want of a better phrase but it's it's also I think about a huge society change too I think for women I think for gender balance I think for a whole lot of things I think sport's a huge driver for social change and I think the AFLW's really like gone in with a bang and really done a fair bit of that so I think it's I think it's bigger than just sport. I think that it was just as special as it felt it is worth all the hyperbole that people used to talk about it because it just forever changed the face of AFL of women's sport of women's football in this country you know it it both took people along with it that were already invested in the game but it also opened people's eyes who hadn't really thought about women's sport so much to the game and now they've become some of its most passionate advocates so I don't think the influence of that night can be overstated. As much as I knew that it meant a lot and that it, you know, it was a historic moment and it was a moment I'd been waiting for my whole life, I don't think I had any idea what that what that was the start of because it's been the start of so many things like the the tentacles that come from that first game are epic in big stories and little stories and you know it really made it it really made an impact and you know within within you know just a couple of hours after the game my kids were playing with footy cards that had you know Lauren Arnell and Bree Davey and Darcy Vessio and you know Gab and all these people on them and I just was like oh this is unbelievable this we've woken up it's a brand new day and that hasn't gone away at all and they're the moments that make up the tapestry of this encounter and this experience. And, oh my goodness, it's probably been the single most important cultural event of my life. And I was there and I saw it. What you saw in that match wasn't just that women were capable, it was that they've been, they were being seen to be capable. Usually, who would know? <laughs> You know, it's always the women who don't really get celebrated in that way. But this time it was public. It was out there. And it was, it's, it's like when the vote came. You know, there was a, there's a lot of documentation saying, oh, well, was the vote given to women or not? And you think, get stuff. They fought for it. And it's the same with this. This wasn't given. This was demanded and taken. And it, that's, that battle will still be having to be fought year after year. We know that. It's a visibility issue and it's, it's, we strive for equality and it's a long friggin' struggle and it goes on. So these sorts of um, landmarks, I think even if uh, the broader community is not conscious about it, 
it just becomes a new kind of normal. If all the volunteers and people who, who started the leagues, very, all those courageous people who did it in the face of sort of tacit opposition or sometimes outspoken opposition, without without them, you know, this probably wouldn't have happened. So it it took it took a long time coming, and I think anyone who who has been a part of it over that time should should be proud. It's something I I will always remember. Like not not necessarily, you know, I'm not going to remember the whole thing, but little little snippets. Seeing Jaziana kick that first goal, watching Sarah Hosking dive in, seeing that blonde flash of hair just bombing around everywhere. And just, I think this is, this is going to be a competition that's going to be around as long as the AFL is. This, this isn't going anywhere. So it's very special to, have been a, to be able to say, I was there, and to experience it firsthand. You know, they, I think they'd put it all on the line. They felt a lot of pressure that night. It was pretty overwhelming. These girls had, may have played in front of three or 4,000 people max before, and that's the ones that had been involved in exhibition games. To suddenly play in front of a full house at Princess Park, it was, it was emotionally draining, and the whole journey had been emotionally draining, and I think that the, so the crowd kind of came with them, and, and when that final siren went, and they, they sort of went around to you know, their friends and family and people were crying and that will stay with me forever. That first Friday in February was the beginning of something enormously significant. But it was also the continuation of something that began more than a 100 years ago. The stories shared here are mirrored in thousands of women who walked through gates at grounds around the country and became witnesses to the beauty that was the inaugural season of the AFLW. A groundbreaking, life-changing, historic first season that will forever live on in the memories of those who were there. And I think the rest is going to be a little bit like Woodstock. I reckon people who say they were at that first game might not necessarily have been at that first game. I reckon the, the legend will grow and over time 80,000 people will say, oh yeah, I was at that first game. And they weren't really. This project has been encouraged and supported by some truly wonderful people. A big thank you to Fiona Blair, Brunette Lenkich, Helen Walpole, Fee Murphy, Neve Marnie, and the many, many others, too numerous to name, who assisted in big ways and little ways to help bring these stories to life. None of this would have been possible, however, without the truly excellent women who were so generous with their time and with their stories. To Jan Cooper, Yvette Andrews, Shannon Power, Joe Blake, Ashlyn Gray, Olivia Gray, Sue Alberti AC, Alan McGregor, Fiona Blair, Titian Brady, Bronwyn Scott, Marissa Lodanik, Brooke Pereira, Katie Wikes, Adrienne O'Neill, Paula Hunt, 
Janet Graham, Danae Gibson, Elise Johnson, Lucy Watkin, Rebecca Lobo and Brenna Crazier, Phoebe Venables, Claire Jenkin, Sarah Black, Sally Tanner, Angela Pippos, Polly Fletcher, Yvette Roby, Kylie Maslin, Kate O'Halloran, Emma Race, Dr. Kate Sear, Ashley Cochran, Helen Walpole, Fiona Newton, Beck Dahl, Susanna Mott, and Krista Woodruff. Thank you. So next will be the first ever second season, and then I've already got in my diary for the following year, which will be the first ever third season. <laughs> yeah, I'm addicted. Wonderful stuff. It gives me goosebumps <laughs> listening to it. And that was Kirby Fenwick's feature audio documentary, first Friday in February. And that's all we've got time for this morning. We'll be back next Wednesday at 7am with another Summer Breakfast special talking this time about woke capitalism. I'm Claudia. Hope you'll join us then. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR Community Radio. Over summer, we'll be here with Radical Radio, including documentaries, special series, highlights from 2022, and much more. For summer grid details, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash summer specials. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery, and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter.